From Maine Public Radio and mainepublic.org, I'm Carol Bousquet with the news on this day in Maine, Monday, March 6, 2023. This Day in Maine is made possible by listeners and by Now You're Cooking. Celebrating 23 years of selling cookware, kitchen tools, gadgets, and fine wine on historic Front Street in downtown Bath. Open seven days a week. And by Eastern Basements, a division of Maine-owned Eastern Mold Remediation, offering basement waterproofing solutions. EasternBasements.com. Maine's community colleges are seeing a boom in enrollment thanks to Governor Janet Mills' decision to make it free for recent high school graduates. But it's come at a cost. The state's university system is experiencing a comparable decrease in enrollment. Some Democratic lawmakers are proposing legislation they say would make state universities just as appealing as community colleges by providing a tuition discount. Patty White has more. The proposed bill would offer a substantial reduction to the cost of a four-year degree. It would slash state university tuition in half for Maine high school students who graduate between 2023 and 2025. And it would also offer 50 percent tuition for one year for some returning college students who interrupted completing their degree. Democratic Senator Mike Tipping is the bill's sponsor. This specific proposal in LD 512 is meant to mirror the tuition waiver program now in place for community college students. Tipping told the legislature's Education and Cultural Affairs Committee during a public hearing Monday that his proposal would simply expand a policy idea that already has broad support. And those who favor the proposal say it's only fair. University of Maine System spokesperson Sam Warren told lawmakers that the number of students who were admitted to Maine's universities but chose to enroll instead in a community college nearly doubled in just the first semester that the state offered free tuition. We maintain that long-term increased enrollment at the community colleges should benefit our system as students transfer to earn their baccalaureate degree increasingly expected by Maine employers. At the same time, there would be both individual and societal benefits if students who wish to attend our public universities are afforded the same state-subsidized opportunity to do so. Lydia Savage, who's currently a geography professor at the University of Southern Maine, told the committee she was one of those students. She's a first-generation college student from California who chose community college for her first two years of study because of cost. But when she transferred as a junior to a four-year university, she felt she was at a disadvantage. I had no connection to faculty and students in my major or at the university. Other juniors who had already been there were already at work in faculty labs, classrooms, studies. They were in the community. Um, they had already established relationships with faculty mentors and other students. Um, and they had established networks with internships and future employers. And this is a huge part of going to a four-year institution. Other supporters said that discounted university tuition would help reverse Maine's declining workforce in lower-paid careers, such as early childhood education, social work, and teaching, where even a small amount of college debt can be insurmountable. The president of the Maine Education Association, Grace Levitt, says Maine is facing a severe shortage of educators. This is indeed a nationwide crisis. Some states are ahead of us in this effort, and we know that students who study at our universities of Maine to become teachers and who do their student teaching here, they're very likely to take positions right here in our state. 
No one testified publicly against the bill, and it drew support from a dozen economists who signed an open letter, including Michael Cavill. There's a lot of evidence that investment in public higher education is beneficial for students, beneficial for the economy, and offers a positive return on investment to taxpayers. But just how much the discounted tuition proposal would cost taxpayers isn't clear. A fiscal note has not yet been attached to the bill. For Maine Public Radio News, I'm Patty White. State lawmakers are considering a measure that could make it easier to penalize those who make false reports of violence, such as the so-called swatting incidents at 10 schools across the state last fall. The bill's sponsor, Democratic State Senator Ann Carney, says the measure would elevate the penalty for those who make a false report that triggers a lockdown, evacuation, or shutdown at a school or public place where emergency personnel are called to the scene. False public reports are currently a Class D crime. Carney's bill would make them a Class C felony, which are punishable by up to five years in prison. It really is intended to address a situation where there is an effort to make public safety responders believe that an emergency has happened. Carney says the measure is also intended to modernize Maine's false public alarm and report law, which hasn't been updated in nearly 50 years. The bill has support from the Maine State Police and Department of Public Safety, as well as the Maine Prosecutors Association. The ACLU of Maine testified against it. It's taken more than a decade, but an effort to protect nearly 12,000 acres of forest land and more than 21 miles of prized shoreline along Five Lakes, including East Grand Lake and Weston, has been completed. Susan Sharon has more. The land along Maine's eastern border with Canada will continue to be privately owned, remain on tax rolls, and be sustainably managed for timber, according to an announcement from the Conservation Fund. The project, known as the East Grand Watershed Initiative, was planned as a way to provide permanent access for guiding, hunting, snowmobiling and ATV riding, as well as fishing on East Grand Lake. It's a region that's well known for its traditional sporting camps and guide services and revered by sportsmen and women for its landlocked salmon, trout and bass fisheries. The Conservation Fund and the Maine Bureau of Parks and Lands used conservation easements to protect the acreage in phases. Bureau of Parks and Lands Director Andy Cutco says the project provides immeasurable benefits to Maine people and wildlife. For Maine Public Radio News, I'm Susan Sharon. Several groups say they now have data to show a fishway at Milford Dam on the Penobscot River isn't doing enough to help endangered Atlantic salmon migrate to spawning grounds. One of the groups, the Conservation Law Foundation, says legal action is being considered. Daniel McCaw, fisheries program manager with the Penobscot Indian Nation, says while removing dams is best for migrating fish, there are steps short of removal that could help. Let's say you built three fishways there. Let's say you kept every fish out of the turbines as they migrated downstream. McCaw says doing that could cost millions of dollars, something the dam owner Brookfield Renewable Partners would be likely to resist. Brookfield did not immediately issue comment. A United Nations treaty finalized over the weekend would designate 30 percent of the world's oceans as protected areas and put more money into marine conservation. Advocates say it's a breakthrough after more than a decade of talks. Murray Carpenter reports. The High Seas Treaty applies to areas beyond national jurisdiction, 
generally more than 200 miles offshore. It's part of the commitment UN delegates made at a biodiversity conference in December, where they pledged to conserve 30% of the planet's lands, coasts, and waters by decade's end. Beth Orcutt of the Bigelow Lab says it's a significant step toward conserving marine habitat. And she says the treaty could help climate change by protecting the places that are best at sequestering carbon. We know that there's places on the planet where that happens more than others. And so those might be places that we want to consider protecting so that that function is maintained or even enhanced as opposed to being degraded. She says the treaty will also ensure that all of humanity benefits equally from any genetic material in these areas that might be used in biotechnology, not just the most developed nations. For Maine Public Radio News, I'm Murray Carpenter. Maine forests already absorb about 70 percent of the state's annual fossil fuel emissions. Now a new study shows that Maine's commercial forest landowners could increase annual carbon storage by at least 20 percent over the next 60 years while maintaining timber harvest levels. As Susan Sharon reports, the findings are timely as the demand for carbon offset projects accelerates. The forest modeling study across 7.6 million acres of mostly privately owned commercial forest lands in northern Maine was conducted by researchers from the University of Maine, the New England Forestry Foundation, and the U.S. Forest Service. Under current management practices, the forest lands are expected to remove 36 million metric tons of CO2 per year. But if climate-smart strategies such as increased planting, thinning, and selective harvesting were widely adopted, the study suggests even more carbon could be stored without decreasing harvest levels. Unless you maintain harvest, uh, there's a potential for there really to be no um, benefits to the atmosphere. Tom Walker is a natural resources economist and project coordinator. If a landowner in Maine cuts back on their harvests and stores more carbon, which makes a lot of sense. If somebody else cuts that wood somewhere else in Maine or in the U.S. or in the world, you know, there's no net benefit to the atmosphere. The study's authors also say undertaking these improvements could be done at relatively low cost compared to other ways of mitigating climate change. The research comes as demand from companies looking to offset their carbon emissions through forest carbon removal projects increased fourfold between 2020 and 2021. Alec Giffen of the New England Forestry Foundation says there are other reasons to be encouraged by the findings. We can improve wildlife habitat. We can produce more wood. We can produce higher quality wood. We can increase the returns that landowners achieve from owning land. And I see this as potentially, you know, a game changer in terms of the kind of things that you can do in a financially beneficial way with forest management in Maine. The New England Forestry Foundation was recently awarded a $30 million grant from the U.S. Department of Agriculture to pilot forest management programs that pay forest landowners for carbon storage. Giffen says it's essential for landowners to be compensated because it takes several decades for improved forest practices to pay off. Where that funding comes from and how it's distributed is something that has yet to be worked out. The study was commissioned by the Forest Carbon for Commercial Landowners Initiative. It's a group of conservationists, scientists, and commercial landowners who want to better understand the carbon storage potential of the Maine woods. 
For Maine Public Radio News, I'm Susan Sharon. Women mushers took first place in all three of the 2023 Can-Am Crown International sled dog races in Fort Kent over the weekend. 39-year-old Catherine Longley of Glenwood, New Brunswick, is the first woman to win the 250-mile race in the event's 30-year history. Longley didn't finish last year's 250, but prevailed against two experienced mushers in a tight finish this year. Getting to the last checkpoint, I was sandwiched between two mushers of a lot of experience, being Keith Ali that was leaving 12 minutes before me and two minutes behind me. I had Martin Mascot that's won the Can-Am, I believe, 10 times. So I was uh, a little nervous when I knew I was sandwiched between these two, and I just continued to run my dogs the way they, they could be run, and uh, in, the, in the end, I had a good outcome. <laughs> Longley finished the race just before 8.25 this morning with a time of 28 hours, 38 minutes, and 53 seconds to win the $29,000 purse. 17-year-old Florence Shaw of Vermont, Quebec, took first place in the 100-mile race with a time of just over 9 hours. 68-year-old Diane Marquis of St. Medard, Quebec, came in first in the 30-mile race with a time of just over 2 hours. And that's today's Maine News. For more stories, visit mainepublic.org and join us for Maine Calling at 11 tomorrow morning. I'm Carol Bousquet. Thanks for listening.